Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swandingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. Hey, cool. And welcome back to another episode of the Swan Dingo Files. Today, I have Dean McMurray with me, a fellow veteran, and he's doing something a little different that most of us don't get into. So we're going to discuss that later on, but how's it going, Dean? Hey, Stefan. Thanks for having me, man. Pleasure being here. Well, it was nice to meet you. Um, today, I want to talk about, oh, hey, just let everybody know that's on the show right now or going to watch it later. I'm 30 hours smoke-free. I used to smoke a little cigars, like black milds almost, kind of like that. But So I feel really weird right now not having any nicotine in my body, so kind of strange. So just to let you all know. But today with Dean, we're going to discuss his transition, his military service, why he joined, and then what he's doing now, which I think is actually pretty cool, and a lot of you might want to tune in and hear that part especially. So how's uh, So if you can take it away, Dean. Yeah. Uh, why did you join the military? Um, that's a damn good question. I still don't know. You know, um, like a lot of kids, you know, grew up uh, small town USA, northern Minnesota, right on the Canadian border. And, you know, come from a military family. Um, fun fact, um, my dad was Canadian Air Force, brother American Air Force. Um, so, and then a lot of, you know, like a lot of families, a lot of uncles and other folks in the military, American military. Um, so that wasn't something that was foreign to me. And I think that was the catalyst um, for it. It wasn't expected of me um, to go in the military, but it was, it was something that I just knew staff and that, w- that was going to be part of my path. It was just, I don't know. It was just, it was in my bones that I knew that, you know, where I was looking at all the branches, there wasn't a question for me. And, um, so, you know, um, but when I really looked at it, um, I looked at it from an aspect of, I guess, how I can serve. And of course, everybody looks at their interests, like what branch you want to join, like, um, you know, which, uh, in your mind, what branch is more badass or, you know, what jobs look cool from the recruiter's standpoint. And, um, you know, and then I decided to, uh, make the leap into army and, you know, in the army and, Good choice. Um, and uh, thank you. And then, you know, and I did that initially for almost four years and I got out in 92 and under Bush senior, um, because of the big drawdown, if everybody remembers that. And I was 22 at this time that I had the world by the balls and uh, I was wrong. And, um, I was out for about a year and a half and I was like, well, this kind of sucks. And I decided to go back in. So I had, I call it my year and a half uh, of leave. <laughs> and I went back in and, you know, at that time I was, you know, I got out as an E4, as a specialist. Um, and I was, all, I, you know, I spent that entire time infantry. 
And then I went back and at the time there was, um, there was no option for me to reclassify, um, because they were like, we need, we need 11 Bravos. And I was like, really? Do you really need 11 Bravos? Because I really wanted to reclassify. I was looking at what, what am I going to do beyond, um, you know, the military? Because that was pretty evident from, to me when I got out the first time, like, you know, of course, uh, you go to these briefings and anybody that holds an infantry MOS, they're like, well, you know, the closest thing may be police or security or something. It's like, well, I don't, you know, at the time I didn't have any interest in doing that. And so I'm like, well, you know, like I can push a broom, I guess, or, you know, mop a floor. And um so I wanted to diversify myself. And, uh, that's when I was asking about other MOSs. And at the time there was nothing open, or at least that's the story they gave me and I bought it. And, uh, I went back in and, you know, and I went on to really serve another basically, what, 20 years? Well, not, sorry, another, uh, almost another, you know, 11 or so years because um, I ended up spending um, almost a total of 15 years active duty army. And all of that time was all infantry. And then, of course, there was, you know, various uh, duty stations as a paratrooper and in Alaska mm-hmm. and um, Fort Bragg and everything else. Yeah. Did some time overseas and what? Yeah. Sorry. Got to ask you real quick. How do your, yeah. knees, how do your knees feel? <laughs> Well, you know, the knees are, you know, now I'm 53, um, and the one is starting to, to, you know, I can start to feel it now. Um, but the, the back and the neck is, is, is where, where it's at for me. And, um, but you know, it's not as bad as some other folks. So I consider myself lucky. Um, you know, so all the years of, of road marching and thinking you're doing hoo-hoo shit. And your 53 year old self is going, you dumbass, like get out, run. <laughs> you know, and it's like young, dumb and full of cum, right? So it's like, you're, you're not thinking of that. It's like, you got a, you got a ball of Jack in the back of the barracks and a, and a ball of Motrin. And, you know, you're not thinking about tomorrow. You're not thinking about sick call. You're not thinking about 20 years down the road, what your body's going to be doing. And I probably would have. Gave my older self, if I could talk to my younger self, I'd probably say, get out of the way, you're old pogue. You know, it's like, you know, I, I probably would have said something like that. But, you know, the thing is, is that do I regret the time? Absolutely not. Made, uh, you know, made some great friends, had some amazing experiences, things that obviously, you know, uh, the old aspect of you get paid to do this shit, you know. So just some really cool experiences, um, some stuff. Yes, absolutely. I don't want ever want to do again, um, or go visit again, but, um, the, you know, it's, um, yeah, no regrets. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, I volunteered to do everything I did. Um, but yeah. yeah and then after, at, I used, I used to know, I used to tell people that, uh, the military paid us a sleep fucking train. So we're to be good at all, yeah, whatever, and not necessarily on that order. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, and you know, and after that, 
um, when I was getting out, I knew that I wanted to continue to serve at some level. That was just kind of gets in your DNA, right? Once you start putting on the uniform, it's hard to really take it off. And I learned about a program called the Active Guard and Reserve Program. Eight, you know, it's called AGR. And I was like, what the hell is this thing? And, and it's basically if you serve in the capacity of a National Guardsman or reservist, but you can be an active duty soldier. So basically Monday through Friday, um, one weekend a month and two weeks out of the year, um, you're a soldier and basically you're the full time support person doing, you know, what we used to call the old, the pogue work, right? So the admin, the supply, you know, behind the scenes work, but you're, you're getting paid active duty pay to, you know, to put on the uniform to come to work in, you know, your hometown or city or wherever, wherever you're at and to serve in whatever unit, um, you're, you're assigned to. And, and so I ended up, you know, I, I did, uh, you know, I did, uh, 10 years active guard and reserve and here in the state of North Dakota. And, uh, and it was just a tremendous, tremendous experience. And, if anybody's never heard of it, I, I urge you to go out and look at it because it is, uh, it is something that's pretty cool because it, it afforded me a lot of opportunities, um, that I could have never have fathomed, um, and far and above, um, what I experienced in the active duty side. So the regular army side and not saying that it was, you know, one side better than the other. Um, cause I know the active duty boys are, and, and gals are going to be like, oh, the nasty girls or, you know, the reservists. And, you know, and there's a big national guard and reserve world out there. And there are some pretty kick, you know, quite honestly, some pretty kick ass units. And it's really what you make it. And what I, the thing that I found that was really cool was I was like, Hey, I'm, just like I was, but I'm not sleeping in the barracks. I'm, you know, now, you know, at the, when I first started off, I'm like, I want to rent, uh, you know, I was single and I was like, I want to rent a farmstead and I want to be able to go hunting when I want, um, or when I get off work. And I don't want to have to, you know, be confined to like check my weapon into the arms room. And so, you know, having that opportunity of really, Hey, you're a grown up and grown up rules apply. And guess what? It's just like a regular job, except I wear a uniform every day. And, you know, it's, uh, it, it really, it was, it was a tremendous, tremendous opportunity. And so thankful to have that experience and, uh, got to go some fun, fun places with those folks. But, um, so yeah, so I did that. And so I retired at, a, uh, the end of the day when I retired, uh, with 24 years. And, uh, so which, so which, so which was really fun. So, um, it was like, Hey, you know, it's, uh, you know, retired just like anybody else. So, so, uh, what was your rank when you got out? So I retired as an E7, sorry, okay. first class. Yep. So, oh. and it, yeah. the, oh, I was going to say the structure is a little bit different now and it's completely changed. Um, since I have since retired, cause we're talking good Lord. Are we talking 12 years now since I've been retired or since I've pulled the plug? 
And so if you back in the day when I first started, it was like a job application. You put in a resume and you applied for a position. And, you know, hopefully there's requirements for rank and whatever, but um, they base basically, can you do your job, the job? Um, and then, or do you have experience doing the job or do they want to hire you and train you? And then can you get MOS qualified? Say, for example, I was a readiness NCO for one of my last duty positions and um, it was basically to make sure that the company um, was an all level. So admin supply everything to make sure that we were ready on all levels to deploy. And, but I had to become a mechanic like that was the requirement. So I had to go to 91 B school and this is a wrench. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like kind of um, the bonehead stuff, but um, you know, so you, you know, you had to meet those MOS requirements. Um, which was kind of cool because, you know, when I joined the guard, I was among the very few, um, at that time, um, that was still, that held 11 Bravo MOS. And, but they were like, Hey, you know, you're coming into the engineer world. Like they're in this state, at least at that time, they were pretty heavy with combat engineers and wheeled, you know, wheeled engineer, all the, you know, bridge guys and everything and gals. And so, you know, I had to go to school to learn how to be a combat engineer. And that was one of the requirements. So, you know, in placing obstacles, removing obstacles, you know, a lot of, you know, of course, everybody loves the pick pounders, even the 11 bang bangs, right? So um, I'm like, well, I'm familiar with this. And, um, but, you know, um, doing charges and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff and which is fun. I, you know, I eat that stuff up, but, um, so, and then, you know, going into supply school and then admin school, a lot of, you know, paperwork type of, uh, branches. And, part. You know, well, right. Well, and, but the thing is there's perks to every job. And, and when I kind of looked at it from my old way of thinking like, oh, you're, I got to have a POG job. And, you know, honestly, when you get into it, it was a completely different animal than what, you know, the active duty mindset is. And at least from my experience, it was really good because there were opportunities to do things that, um, um, that you probably wouldn't get to do even as like an admin person or a supply person on the active duty side. And there's a lot more responsibilities. For example, in supply and active duty, the XOs and the S4s at battalion level or the XOs at company level take on a lot of responsibilities. But guess what? In a reserve or national guard unit, when they're not doing their one week in a month or their two weeks out of the year, those guys are off working for car dealerships and they're normal quote-unquote normal job so they're not there that responsibility goes back to you so a lot of responsibilities that us you know uh and the regular army think oh you know we don't have to deal with that that's the requirement that a lot of national uh, full-time national guardsmen and women um have to deal with because a lot of those um people that 
you know, we, you know, rely upon in the active duty side, um, they're not there. They're, they're off doing their other job or other life and outside of the guard. And so either you have to kind of wear a little bit of the commander hat with touching base with them or, like for me, being the readiness was a little bit of the first sergeant commander role. Um, and of course, you know, making sure you're touching base with both, but really you're helping them make decisions. Um, and so it's, it's a kind of a unique unicorn. And I, and when I got into it, I actually said, I was like, holy shit, how many more people? Like I, I said, I wish it was an AGR recruiter because I said I could feel like I know that there are so many 11 bang bang that's the mentality i was thinking i know there's so many grunts out there that would give their left nut to be right here like eat donut like if they want to go down like hey let's go to lunch you know like you're married to the job don't get me wrong and it is mission first but at the same time it's so much more the majority of the time it's so much more low stress and as long as you got your poop in a group and you got your shit together um is I mean, it's, I'm, I was, I was like, oh my God, how, how do, how are you guys struggling to fill that role? Like, it was mind blowing to me. I was like, it's a no brainer. Like, people need to be applying. And it's not just, obviously, I'm here in North Dakota. Every state, every state, when I was, when I was at Bragg, I was, I'd just gotten back from Afghanistan. And actually, before I went to Afghanistan, I had applied all over the continental United States and its territories. And I, you know, places like, uh, one was Nome, Alaska. I actually had a training NCO job up in, you know, up in Nome, up, up in the Arctic Circle. Um, and, uh, there was another one that was another training NCO role. I forget what state it was, but, um, so whether it's from Alaska to Iowa to Kansas or wherever, I mean, um, I believe even like Puerto Rico and different. So you, you have to find out what vacancies are for each state and region and, and then find out the requirements and then apply for that. But um, so, yeah, that was uh, that was something that I got into and I got my foot in the door originally starting as a recruiter for the National Guard, and then I transitioned to admin um, and then kind of worked in a one-man armory, believe it or not, down in the basement of a city building in a little town in central uh, North Dakota. And this is that's where I met my wife. Um, I was still very much single, and the lady that worked across at the city hall uh, was her best friend, and she and her brother was going to the unit. And, uh, of course I had to deal with the city all the time. You're working with the mayor and city officials. And, and so a lot of different hats I was learning because I didn't know my ass from a hole, you know, a hole in the wall. And, uh, so I was just talking to everybody and learning as much as I could. And of course in small towns, um, those from small towns know this. Everybody's very nosy, has their nose in everybody's business. And anybody that comes in, they'll figure shit out about you. Like, oh, he's single. Like, you know, and of course she sends her brother, um, you know, to investigate. Hey, McMurray, aren't you single? And of course I'm giving him shit going, 
dude, you're not my type. (laughs) And he was like, no, screw you. He's like, I'm asking for my sister. And I was like, isn't your sister married? Like, what the hell's going on with this town? And he was like, no, she wants to set you up on a blind date. And, and of course, you know, long story go, you know, how the story goes, boy meets girl and everything else. And, um, next thing you know, we're getting married and, um, you know, God, that's been a long time now. Well, my daughter is, you know, we've been, we'll be married in July. We'll be 18 years. And so it's been, wow. been a, yeah, crazy. And so can my daughter is 17. And, uh, you know, our youngest, um, is 10. And so it's, uh, just kind of crazy to think how things like, um, and that was one of my goals too, because I wanted, I wanted to put down roots. I wanted to start a family. And that was something that I really wanted to do for a long time. And active duty military was not, <laughs> was not conducive to that. I was engaged a few times pre- previously. And it was the the old adage of, you know, I don't think they can keep their, uh, you know, their their legs closed while I was gone. And uh, so, which worked out for the best, you know. Um, and, no, honestly, uh, that, I mean, I was in for 14 and a half years. I went through, yeah. I, I forgot my duty stations, but that happened a lot with uh, the women. And, and, and it's not all of them. I mean, yep. not all. Some were very good, but I understand your concern. And, uh, you only got two kids though? Yeah, only two. Yep. Oh, I was no. kind of a late bloomer. We're kind of late bloomers, you know, with, with well, kids and. No, I, I was just going to say that's smart. That only two is like, <laughs> that, that's smart. I have six. No. <laughs> say you need to bump those numbers up. They're kind of rookie numbers there. Oh, no, but... that's, we, after the second one, we were like, yeah, that's it for us. And I, I decided to get clipped. So, and we, so put, put the <laughs> stopper on it. So, um, but, uh, so yeah, and, um, but, um, you know, and then of course retired about what, 12, 13 years ago. So, oh, wow. um, so it's been kind of crazy. Yeah. Uh, so are you still in the same town you retired from or that you were in doing the AGR? Okay. So yep. how was the transition? Cause you pretty much knew and worked with seeing everybody in that town. I mean, how, what's the population of the town you're in? So. The population of, so I live in Fargo, North Dakota, which borders, oh, okay. yep, yep, so pretty, you know, pretty well known. I and think that's the only town that people know in North Dakota. <laughs> Fargo. Well, and, you know, and it's, it, it really, North Dakota's population is expanding, um, and has been for a number of years, not only Bismarck with the oil boom, um, but then also the immigration aspect and Fargo and everything else. Um, but I, I think we're sitting, Without Googling it, I think we're at a hundred and, you know, some odd thousand, maybe more. I'm guessing it's a, it's a fair good size city. Um, but, um, it's not, it doesn't have the vibe of Minneapolis or something like a metropolis, right? Still has like a small town vibe in areas, but it's certainly a city on the grow. Um, well, I think everybody needs to get out of the big cities right now. Minneapolis, Chicago, L.A. Yeah, you, know, you name it. I, get the hell out of there. Just go. Well, I, you know, and I don't live right downtown. I, you know, I live on the outskirts and in the, in the, I guess, would be considered a more mature or older neighborhood. And um, it, I, you know, at times I'm 
ready to move out to the woods and just you know live off the grid because I'm like, oh, you know, it's it's sometimes just a lot. But you know, the transition was good. Um, it actually was really great. We have. I will give North Dakota all the props and all the kudos because the staff that they had on as far as the transition team and everything else um did a tremendous job um and um and and I already had it figured out what I was going to do but um prior to that um I was going to work for the VA that was the, the grand scheme of things Three years prior to retirement, and the plan was retire, work for the, we have a, a, a major VA hospital, uh, here. And, um, I was going to work in some capacity. And because the kids were so young, and I'm like, well, here I was, uh, you know, here, here I was in my early forties, and I'm thinking, you know, uh, dad's still got to work. Like I got some, you know, little mouths to feed and we still got bills and who doesn't. And, but I was like, I want to buy back my 24 years. Why not do that? And then even if I did another 10 or if I did another, you know, even if I did another 20 there, I'd be in my sixties and then I could retire. Holy cow, you know? So at, 40 some odd years of fed, you know, of federal service. Wouldn't that be cool? And set myself up for retirement. And around that time, that's when I had, I call it my spiritual midlife crisis. It's when I had my, and as we transition into how I got in and what I do now, but, um, because I had just returned from deployment and, you know, and everything started and then, trying to figure that out and which I'll get into here in a minute. But um so and that kind of went out the window because to step into the role that I do now um was so far outside of my thinking. Like I'd be like, what what the fuck are you talking about? Like that doesn't make any sense to do that. Like, you know, and um but it was a calling. If you've ever heard pastors or anybody talk about a calling, it was a calling that it could number one number couldn't couldn't ignore. Anyway, I try to frame it. And number two, it was so natural for me to follow. It was like mind-boggling. And to do this as a business to help fellow veterans that I knew that I served with, uh, buddies. Um, people, neighbors, um, you know, everybody from, you know, uh, veterans and hospice units to private groups to whatever. And everybody's like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, I haven't even alluded to what I do yet, but, um, but it was something that was so natural that to do it, um, it was like, you know, it was just, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm like, what the fuck am I thinking? Like, and, um, so, you know, without beating around the bush to let everybody know is, is basically what it is, is I'm a medium. I'm a psychic medium. And what that means is I have the ability to communicate with, so talking and listening, uh, having a back and forth conversation with those that are deceased, 
Not the Teresa Caputo, oh my God, the nails and the hair, right? I don't have the hair and nails. Nothing against her. I think, you know, what she does is awesome and other folks. You might look a little Um, bit better, you know, you never know. (laughs) What's that? You might look a little bit better. Yeah, a little bit better, right? I have I have my own flair. Somebody called me one time. They're like, Dean, you're kind of like the micro of of uh, mediums, and I was like, How's that? And they're like, Because you put it down and dirty, like you just tell it like it is, like a no shit. Like you don't you don't fluff it. There's no fluff with you, and you just kind of. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of a nice way of putting it. I'm not very eloquent with my words like Mike is, but, um, I was like, Oh, that's kind of an interesting way to put it. And, um, and so, yeah, and I go by the tagline, the military medium, and that's a completely different conversation, but it was something that because the military made up number one, um, the majority of, you know, first half of my adult life. And then, so in this awakening, we'll call it, this spiritual awakening, this calling that I couldn't ignore, of mediumship. And it was, you know, and I'm like, holy shit, like, and it wasn't, and I, I know people are going to have the question, like, Dean, did you, did you have something traumatic on a deployment happen to you? Is something psychology, you know, do you need to go to a psychologist? You get, need to get on meds. It's like, no. Um, it was, you know, it was a poltergeist type activity. Clocks and pictures were flying off the wall. And I was like, after I got home from deployment and I was like, holy fuck, like what the fuck is going on? And I knew my wife was going, her and a bunch of girlfriends would go to a local psychic in the area. And I was calling this psychic, the voodoo chick. Cause that, uh, you know, what I don't understand, I got to poke fun at just so I can understand it. And I said, you and your voodoo chick friends. And, but when that shit happened, of course, what do you think the first words out of my mouth? Get the voodoo chick on the phone. Like there's some weird shit going on. And she came over and I wasn't ready for a reading. I thought that she could just stop all the madness going on because I can deal with the physical threat. I can wrap my mind around that. I think most military men and women can do that because what we do is very physical, right? So whatever you do, it doesn't matter whether you, you know, do admin or whether you shoot tanks, it's irregardless. If there's a physical act behind that. So if somebody said there's somebody actively trying to break into your home, you can understand that and then you can think about how you want to respond. But if I tell you that there's spirits in your home or there's something with, you know, uh, spiritual activity, you know, regardless of whether you're a, a cynic or a skeptic or a believer, it doesn't matter. How do you wrap your mind around something you can't see? Exactly. But you can tell that something like if, you know, if there's ship flying off the walls, like how do you stop that? And that's, I was like, oh, I felt kind of powerless. And I was like, I can't take out a, you know, the, the nine mil and start shooting that stuff. And, um, so, you know, quite honestly, she came over this, the psychic and she started doing a reading connecting to my deceased grandfather, who was a world war one veteran and everything. And she gave evidential information that I could validate with, but I was, wasn't in the mindset. I think this is pro- uh, very important. Um, Stefan is that, 
you know, sometimes you got to be in a mindset of being accepting or at least be open. And I wasn't at the time. And so I was missing a lot of the message that was being given. But so when she left and at the end of the day, everything was done, nothing was done about all the craziness about the clocks and pictures. And that's what I wanted her to deal with. And, um, you know, kind of looking back on it, uh, that wasn't, she wasn't supposed to be dealing with that because that was the universe's way of saying, Dean, get your shit together because you're supposed to be stepping into this role to help others, not only veterans, but their family, you know, gold star mothers and father, you know, like all these folks, not just military, but their families and then just civilians and everybody else, you know, Uber drivers and, go on tour boats and wherever, right? And I, but I couldn't see it because, you know, you're, you're kind of, you know, eyeball deep and everything. And so it, it was a challenge to say the least. And so, you know, it wasn't, so I went on this three year journey, uh, as I got cl- marched closer to retirement, uh, trying to figure out who the fuck Dean the medium is and what that looked like because I was like, okay, so when I came to this realization that I was a medium, um, I was like, that's fine, but what does it mean for me? I see all these other people on TV. I read all the books, but I was like, that's fine, but what does it mean for me? Like, because I'm not them. And, you know, and, and really it was more about you know, you got to find your way. And then it, so years down the road, I kind of look back on it and it's really an analogy for all kinds of shit. And it's like, because we're all unique. Like what, what does that mean for me? Like if you're starting off in business or say if I wasn't going into the supernatural, like, you know, if I was going, I, I go back to the first time that I got out, right. And I worked for several odd jobs. Like I felt so lost. I couldn't relate to anybody. Here I was 22 when I first got out in 92. Couldn't relate to anybody. I didn't know who the fuck I was other than I related for almost four years as Specialist McMurray. Infantryman. You know, like, who the fuck is that? You know, and then so you lose this identity of self because you build, you're told in the military who you are. And every day it's shoved in your face. This is who you are. And so I went through a little loss of identity again when I finally retired because I was like, am I supposed to be a medium? Am I really supposed to do this? Or like, who the fuck am I? Here I am in my early 40s. Like, am I supposed to go off and do something in the business world? Like, you know, and so I was trying to wrestle really with the true identity of myself and spirituality aside it was you know I had to come to terms with not what I wanted to do but who I wanted to be and I really realized that it was more than Dean the dad I was more than Dean the soldier which was a huge one to swallow and because for 24 years if you would ask me who I was or what I did I always the first thing on it I'm a soldier that was a very like first thing, yep, I'm a soldier, you know, and then dad, husband, all the labels that we wear. And I was like, you know what? 
I'm more than that. Like if I go fishing, I just want to be Dean. Like I don't, you know, yeah, I take my kids, but you know, I, I want to be more than the label. And so when you start shedding these, and I think that's what's hard is that as we transition from the military, we start losing this self of a, or what we have identified as part of ourself for so many years in this, um, in this organization. And we're like, Oh my God, like now we're detached from it. And we're like feeling like we're floating in outer space, but, um, no, no longer getting the structure around the, from the inside on the right. Outside. You got to build right. your own repetition structures and patterns in order to adapt to the normal, to the outside norms of society to where you try to fit in with everybody else. Yes. But as a medium, that is a different <laughs> job and different world. Right. Well, that's that, right. And it, there was no, um, oh shit. What was the, is it the taps briefing or whatever yes. that you get about the, you know, work, working, working on the civilian sector, you know, reading all this bullshit and whatever, and which is good. They have a lot of great things, resume building, but there's nothing for mediums. There's nothing for psychics. And so now you're entering the world that's difficult on its own for entrepreneurials. You know, anybody going into their own business, I don't care if you build engines or you're a mechanic or whatever, that's tough enough. But now you're going into a sector that is so niche that it's like, uh, I'm really not sure who to reach out for you. Like if you want to mentor or so you're looking and it's like, you know what? Just go out and start doing whatever it is you do then. And, and so it was truly working at the ground floor. And you, you know, you kind of, if you're working, if you're, if that's the area that you're in for me in the mediumship, all I knew was this voodoo chick, the psychic. And so then you start small. And then, so you like learn for me at the time was you find other people that are in that area, if you will, other psychics, other mediums, like, you know, maybe, and at the time it was going to expos. They do these psychic expos and, you know, they do circuits or whatever. And that's yeah. where I started. I'll and so, life to some of those. Yeah. And so, and it's like, you know, at first it's, um, it kind of, you figure out, you kind of where you're, you find your footing. You, you know, you think about, uh, the aspects of Mount, right? So you need to, you need to get your, you know, the foothold. And, and it's like, okay, so now I get my foothold. Now I establish myself. Now what? What direction do I want to go? And how do, you know, and you start talking about all the business shit. You know, like, how do I want to bit market myself? How do I want to, how do I want, how do I want to help people? And really at the end of the day, regardless of whether I'm selling widgets or mediumship readings or whatever, that's what it's all about for me. And that's why. I've always adapted the saying, like helping others heal one connection at a time, because that is that that's why I joined the military to help others and to be part of something bigger than myself. And I'm like, okay, how do I, how can I continue doing that? Like, how can I continue serving? But then at the same time, then there's a business aspect to it. Like, okay, so we need to bring that into it as well. But, 
and doing what I do. And so whether that's expos, whether that's private events, whether that's, um, you know, people reaching out through my website or, um, you know, I was involved in some filming, um, you know, through producers kind of just coming up with ideas for TV shows and kind of filming some idea stuff, whether that's, um, uh, you know, given the opportunity that, you know, there was a, I had my own radio show for a while here in the local FM morning show. And that was uh, the Red, White, and You uh, radio show. And that was focused. And it didn't do, even though we did talk to some mediums, but it was all about veterans and their families all the do good or supporting that because I wanted a way to give back. And um, and we talked about a lot about trauma, a lot about, you know, different things that challenges veterans face, but also different ways to get through that. And so some tools in the toolbox, so to speak. And, but we also talked about movies, but so, you know, that was their opportunities to do, you know, podcasts, uh, you know, doing a now with, with the aspect. So even in the mediumship thing, has that opened up other opportunities? Absolutely. And one of the things that I'm super passionate about is doing what I call Operation Give Back. And so, We've been kind of slacking because our venue kind of went to shit, quite honestly. Um, but basically where I partner with a local venue and basically where they host, um, a gathering of people, um, in a public setting and where we get a bunch of people together and uh, through a free will offering where I give a public reading some basically a gallery. So we get, you know, however many people we can pack in the house and they all put money in a, a big fish bowl or a big container and all a hundred percent of all the money. That's why we try to keep um, it free will donation. Number one, because people that typically can't afford to come to a show can afford. So say if they have five or four bucks, whatever they have, or maybe 50 bucks, whatever they're blessed with, they can bring that. And then also um, there's no overhead costs for us on the business aspect. And so we can give 100% of what we raise to a local nonprofit. And so, you know, the fun, you know, fun thing with that is, you know, we've given checks to like the, the, uh, the honor flight program here in the North Dakota, Minnesota area. Um, to help veterans go to Washington. Um, the local, you know, raise money for meals for, um, the local school found, uh, foundation that pays for school lunches and when they were really hurting because of pe- kids and families that couldn't, underprivileged that couldn't afford meals basically. And, um, Oh, another one that does fights against human trafficking. And they're all right in here. And there was another one that, you know, veterans organization. And so, um, we love doing that kind of stuff, giving back when we can. And then it, is it always a veteran organization? No, but of course, is that going to be near and dear to my heart? Absolutely. Um, but you know, I can't always show favoritism. You know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta spread the love, but it's fun to be able to give back. And then also um, let others um, 
participate in that. And so it's like a kind of a win-win. So, you know, it's like, how can we give at a bigger level? How, you know, so I'm always thinking of that, of whether it's through a charitable deal, make a wish, or through with, you know, psychic medium stuff, um, you know, some crazy stuff too. It's like in the, in the process of doing what I do, um, you know, ask to come in and cleanse spaces as well, like churches, local churches and different, you know, where people say there's some evil or nasty stuff in this space um, and where I'm called in to do. And we could get in probably a whole segment of some crazy shit. I know you were saying earlier. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely have to <laughs> get into some crazy stories. Yeah, right. uh, I got, well, okay. So I want to leave with this and it's something else yeah. real quick, but, uh, so before we started, I, I was telling you that since I met my wife, I mean, I've always kind of believed something is there. Right. I mean, I, and it's become more accepted among, especially veterans, I think. Um, the whole afterlife coming back, mm-hmm. all, all that kind of stuff. And I was kind of a naysayer, not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Well, I met my wife. She's Native American. She's an Navajo and they are yep. very spiritual, believe yeah. skinwalkers and spirits, yeah. all this stuff. And it's, yep. I was like, Oh, whatever. Well, one night, me and her, we lived in Arizona for a little bit while I was out recruiting. And uh, it was 2012 to 15. We bought a house and two kids, very small, too small to really do anything. Um, I think my oldest was only two at the time, so didn't really know much. And the other one was a baby. One night, we're sitting, laying in bed. All of a sudden, we hear a cup go flying across the room, one of those tumblers. And it's like... I go, look, kids are both sleeping in bed. I couldn't find a cup, though. And, like, me and the wife, swear to God, we heard this. Like, up and down. We swore up and down. We heard a cup tumble across the ceramic tile flooring. It's like, all right, freaky. We kind of thought, nah, it's nothing. Then we're laying there, still watching TV. A few minutes later, we hear the back door open up and then close. It's like, all right, that's too much. Uh Uh-uh, not this time. So I go check. I grab the gun, of course. And go go check. The kids are sleeping. Go check. The door's locked. I pull on it. Nothing. So I said, fuck it. Open it up. Nothing back there. No footsteps. And we have a dog. Wait, do we have a dog? Yeah, we had little dogs then. No response from them. So it's like, this is weird. This is a strange thing. So what do you say to naysayers that are like, what you do isn't real? Or what what you do is, there's no way you can actually do that. There's just not possible. What do you say to them? Right. You know, I don't say a lot. I, I, you know, I just say, you know what, that's okay, really, because I was there myself. I, you know, come, you know, obviously very much a black and white world. If I couldn't, you know, eat it, shoot it, drive it, you know, basically it didn't exist. And so understanding that I need to have my own experience. So if, Somebody isn't there. I it, it is not my job, nor will I try to make somebody a believer in psychics, mediums, all things paranormal or weird or freaky. I just share my experiences. And if they want to walk away and say, you know, that's bullshit or say I'm full of shit, that's all right. Um, you know, we all... uh you know, we all support and defend the Constitution, and, you know, one of those things is freedom of speech or, you know, to believe what you want to believe. And uh, if that's 
you know, so where, where, wherever they are, that's okay. And people are people, regardless of what, what you wear to work or what you do for work. Um, and I found, especially in the military is, you know, some people are really into it. Some people are not. Um, some people are definitely against it because of religious or personal beliefs. And wherever you fall, wherever you are in that, that's all right. And I respect that. And because number one, that's how I was raised. Like, Hey, whatever. Like, that's cool. Like, I'm not going to waste my time and their time, like trying to, you know, um, make them a believer because if they don't believe, then they don't believe. And, you know, a lot of times it's, you need to have your own experience and all I can do is share mine or when I do sessions or with whatever saying a lot of times I, you know, tell people like my job is not to make you a believer. It is not, I'm, you know, not here to sit on my soapbox. My job is. I didn't even think about the whole religious thing. I actually forgot that some religions that's not even allowed and stuff. I, yeah, pretty, pretty, you know, and it's kind of funny because some people that are very, you know, upfront, we'll call it um, all, you know, all business up front, kind of like the mullet, uh, you know, business on the front and party in the back. And so the aspect of to your face, they'll say, no, get the hell away from me. I'll pray for you. But then a little while later, I, I've, I've had friends that, you know, like, hey, uh, buddy. You know, it's like where nobody will know that they got a reading. And then because curiosity is there and it's okay. I've given, I've given sessions to people that are believers, non-believers, people from almost every religion, not all religions, but so like vast, like people that had no belief, like atheists and, you know, and so People have a curiosity, and so and they just you know they're, they're whether they believe or not. And so, but I can tell for a hundred percent, hundred and ten percent certainty that there's so much that we don't understand, and there's so much more out there. Um, that's no doubt at all. Like, yeah, so we so, we probably get crazy like, shit. that much. That much yeah, of everything right. is really going on out there. Yeah. But um, so. I know your uh, website and uh, your social media. I mean, how long does a session last and where can people look you up at? Perfect question. Well, so, oh, go ahead. R- roughly. I don't know if like they extend yeah. or they range or your sessions. Yeah. So some different sessions. Um, I have some different, um, we'll say different time slots, right? So I have a offer like a 30 minute um, phone video phone or video session. Um, and then of course a one hour phone or video session. And then of course, um, by email, um, of course you don't even need to be on standby for that. You can read it whenever the hell you want. Um, and then prices vary accordingly to the length of time for the sessions there, those and all the different types. So the pretty good explanation of what they are. Um, are all on my website. And if somebody wants to check that out, they can. If you go to www.deanmcmurray.com or themilitarymedium.com, they're going to take you to the same place. 
and then you can check out past um, interviews. I think the little uh, video clip that we did uh, for a project that never made it to networks um, is there, which was pretty cool. And then, um, then some other, uh, you know, you know, uh, other stuff as well. So if they want to play around, check that out. They can. Well, like you said before, I'm definitely going to get you, get you back on again. Uh, I want to hear yeah. some of those crazy stories that you, t- that yeah. you have to tell us. That. Um, has, have you ever had anybody like straight up just freak out? Um, like, get, like, like scared or like no way or, or like this can't be. You know, I had one mother one time and she had lost a, a child that was fairly young. And that was probably the only reading that, that I remember her saying that I, we need to stop. We need to, it was too emotional for her. Um, but, um, understandable. But yeah. So sometimes, you know, some things will be, you know, highly emotional, obviously, given the, the nature of things. Um, but yeah, you know, sometimes people will be like, oh my God, you know, kind of freaking out a little bit, but nothing crazy, too crazy. I, I want to make people feel comfortable. I don't want to, you know, I, I take what I do very seriously and I don't do it lightly because, you know, um, I try to, you know, be a professional about it. So. Well, thank you for coming on Dean and we will definitely get to hear some of that. Um, maybe even just do a live one on here. If you, you could do that, right? Like, uh, live readings or whatever. Yeah. yeah, we could, we can do it right, yeah, right on here. Hmm. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> right. I don't, I don't, now I don't the, know. Now the hamster's that. spinning there. Yeah, I don't want it to fall off though, unfortunately. <laughs> but thank you for coming on today. And this hey, is all you. in this one Dingo Files. And we'll see you all next time where the Dango HO baby. And if you need it, if you need to get the military medium. So he he can help you talk to some of the people that have passed. I don't know if I want to, honestly. Some of the people that have passed. Hmm. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swandingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Stephen Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough. But with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking and keep swanding going.